you know, the question I always ask myself and that, you know, I pose to my kids as they've gotten older is just, you know, what kind of ancestors are we actively choosing to be, right? Every single day. And let's just make sure that our choices are really aligned with our values. And I think little kids actually get that better than older people who start falling into cognitive dissonance, you know? Here's my pet dog, but I'm eating this pig that is actually more intelligent, right? You know, you know all that, that we, we grow up with. And I think the beauty is that you're starting with your kids at a very, very young age. And, you know, food is our biggest common denominator. If we're lucky, we all eat three times a day. And so it's our biggest opportunity for positive change. That's Jody and Todd Boyman, and this is the Replanet Podcast. Hey guys, hope you're doing great out there. Sorry I'm quite inconsistent with airing the episodes right now. My excuse is that I am on parental leave trying to focus all of my energy and love on my one-year-old daughter. Just trying to instill a curious and loving mindset in her as she will probably soon set out to explore the world on her own. So that's my excuse. Hope you think it's okay. Today's guests, yes, you heard me right, plural. Today is the first time I'm hosting a duo on the Replanet podcast. Today's guests are Jody and Todd Boyman, who are the co-founders of Hungry Planet Foods, which is a pretty cool name, if you ask me. And today they act as the CEO and CPO, the Chief Purpose Officer. Uh, on the note of raising kids, if you stick around till the end, they will pose a powerful question. What kind of ancestors are we actively choosing to be every single day? And they do this along with some personal advice for how to do exactly that. We also talk about the fact that we're in a paradigm shift right now, where it's not just about changing what we eat, but about upgrading what we eat. We make a deep dive into their personal stories leading up to creating this highly purpose-driven brand, the rollercoaster journey of building a successful food tech company aiming at global reach, why soy as an ingredient might have the best shot at really bending the curve on personal and planetary health, the importance of easiness for people to change behavior, advice for aspiring food tech founders, and on a personal level, how to positively raise kids into the next generation of more responsible and mindful world citizens. Please wish me luck on this duo endeavor. So, uh, hey, Jody and Todd from Hungry Planet Foods. How are you guys today? Doing great, Jacob. Delighted to be here with you. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Jacob. Thanks for joining. So, um, before we dive into the juicy stuff, Jody, I think um, it's correct that you are siblings, right? How is it to work with your brother? You've always gotten along well, or do you typically fight over everything? Yeah, no, we grew up, uh, so I'm the older sibling. Todd's the middle child. We have a younger sister who's a medical doctor. Um, and we had a wonderful upbringing in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, often people think that we're married because we share the same last name and we have to correct them when we're checking in for hotels and we want separate rooms. And they're like, all right, you guys are fighting. But no, we never fight. Uh, we're very, very aligned. And that's why we chose to do this with each other, because we are so mission aligned on this. And at this stage of our lives, really feel like this is the time to be executing this vision and this mission that he and I came up with uh, several years ago and created this platform for change, which we are now actioning on, which is all the, these plant-based meats. So Todd, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you agree? <laughs> How is it to work? Oh, no, with not, not at all. I see it in a completely different way. Um, <laughs> no, of course. Look, you know, as you said, I'm the middle child, right? So I'm the peacemaker, Jacob. So I agree with her 100%. That's why we get along so well. 
So, so here's, here is the point, though, where I think we did have some differences, is that, you know, Jody has been a, a vegan eating plant-based really since grade school, 45 years or so ago. Um, Kim, my younger sister, for probably closer to 40 years. And I'm closer to about 35 years, right? So that means I'm the slow learner in the family. Got it. Um, and the time that we really would have disagreement was before I chose to also eat plant-based. And it got to the point where vacationing with an older sister and a younger sister who just wanted to tell me how ill-informed I was and how could you possibly continue to eat and live the lifestyle that you're living. And look, I was still in you know, high school and college. You know, that got to be a bit much. So eventually I uh, saw the errors of my ways and was convinced by you know, the data, seeing environmentally, why one might eat this way for personal health and for animal welfare. So that was probably the, the biggest disagreements we had, but those were, you know, 35 plus years or so ago. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're getting along. Uh, well, that's, 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 that's good to hear. Then it might turn out a good podcast. So uh, <laughs> you guys are on a mission to, to help bend the curve for, for human and planetary health in a meaningful and impactful way, as, as uh, I have understood it. And you sort of eventually found out along the way that food is one of the most suitable options to, to do this. So um, could you share a bit about your personal stories leading up to this point where we're at today? Yeah, well, Jody, why don't you start? Because you were the one who ultimately bludgeoned me into this. So why don't you start with it? That's a powerful word. Yeah, so Jacob, we grew up in the heart of the Midwest uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where our company is now based, which is sort of cool. We've come full circle back there, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, where if you were vegetarian, uh, you were sort of weird and you had to shop at some little market and get little pellets of soy and mix it with water. And that was, you know, what you drank. And it was just awful. It was very, very hard to find anything. And so, you know, back in the day, I was that kid who after a big rainstorm, I would rescue, you know, all of the earthworms that were out on the pavement and put them back in the grass. And, you know, little baby birds in the spring that would try to fly and would just land and crash land under the trees. And I'd pick them up and nurse them back. Um, you know, dogs would be dumped on the county roads where we lived and we would go and rescue them. And, you know, we grew up with dogs and cats and bunnies and all sorts of things. And so, you know, from a young age, our mother's very accomplished cook and uh, staunch European Swiss mother. And she would serve us a lot of meat because uh, she thought she was doing what the federal government was recommending. Right. And I would just look down at my plate and I'd say, mom, who did this used to be? And she would just be like, not a good question. And you got two younger siblings, so stop that. Like, you know, but from a very early age, I just identified the food on my plate as a sentient being. And if I could love my dog and my cat and my money and the, you know, the birds and everything, why would I be eating this cow or this pig on my plate? So for me, it actually really started from an ethical standpoint at a very young age. And it wasn't until much later um, in college, even where I, you know, started connecting the dots in terms of the environmental ramifications. You know, in the early 1980s, I started reading some books that had a lot of uh, influence on me, uh, Francis Moore LaPay's, you know, book and some other, and um, John Robbins's book, Diet for a New America was very influential. Um, and then, you know, after that, I started thinking, okay, those are two great reasons. And then what about you know, the nutritional part of it. So then I went back and, and took some, you know, nutrition courses from e, e Cornell to better understand what a whole food plant-based diet does for us and the environment, of course, the animals. And so really for me, it's all about all three pretty equally now at my time in my life. Um, but it started really from an ethical concern. And then just trying to live my life that way in the face of nobody else that I knew was eating plant-based in the 1970s. I, I didn't know a single person. So I'm really proud that we got through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And then we founded our company in St. Louis, Missouri. And now we have this flourishing business with nine meat proteins and you know, we're working to change the world. 
So time your story, go for it. Now, look, I, I, I think you can't grow up in a family like ours with sisters like I had and, you know, a community that was just a learning community and it was always trying to, you know, figure out how do you make things better. Um, and for me, like I think most people on this planet, I didn't want to be told that you ought to eat differently for any particular reason. Um, I wanted simply delicious, good food. Um, but I think, you know, 30, 35 years ago, the data around um, the environmental and the human health elements of why you would choose to eat differently and eat deliciously differently were really compelling, right? I mean, they were, it, it was there um, if you went looking for it. Today, that data is absolutely overwhelming and you kind of just trip over it, right? And so for me, it was, it was an issue of having uh, persuasive you know, family members um, but it was also an issue of realizing that I didn't have to sacrifice anything uh, to eat better that would be clearly better for the planet, better for me, and not giving up a, a single thing. So, you know, it was, it was, I made the decision one night after, uh, you know, listening to arguments for a long, long time, but then reading a book that laid out the data and just saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this and I'm going to, I'm going to switch. So it was as simple as that. Yeah, and I've only you've been in this game much much longer than I have. I've I've been plant based for uh, a, a bit more than two years. When I f finally found out all those <laughs> data points and, and you know uh, the stories about that you can actually live and prosper uh, on a, on a plant based diet and, and that that's probably the the best way you can do something for this uh, this sinking ship called <laughs> Earth. So, um, but uh, anyway, I think today it's so easy because there's so many alternatives. Uh, yours is one of them. And, and how, how did a, a typical plant-based plate look like back, back in the, the days when you guys started out in this? Well, I mean, that is a, a big, big question, right? Because um, when I made the choice, I wasn't particularly fond of tofu and wasn't particularly fond of vegetables. And so it was kind of this existential, you know, moment of, oh my goodness, what am I going to eat? Um, and so, you know, back then the on-ramp was a lot more difficult than it is today. And, and thus kind of the genesis of Hungry Planet, right? With the mission to bend the curve on personal and planetary health and to make it so it's really easy for people who are plant curious and understand that, hey, by eating differently, um, I can make a big difference to my personal health, to the planetary health, into the well-being of animals, and I can do that without making any sacrifice whatsoever. So, yeah, um, e even you know, five years ago, it was a bigger leap because it was you had to rethink and recalibrate your entire menu. Today, you don't. You know, with with products such as what we make at Hungry Planet, um, you know, if you look at our website at hungryplanetfoods.com or on our social media handles, Hungry Planet Foods, you know, on Instagram and, and Facebook, etc. Um, what you find is that properly, you know, constructed, you can have all these different meat types. In our case, we have nine different meat types and properly developed. These meat types will work in any cuisine, in any recipe, traditional favorites that you have anywhere in the world. And you can do that in a way that when people are eating that and enjoying it, they have no idea they aren't eating conventional meat. So to your point, you know, it was a lot more difficult even five years ago, 30, 35 years ago, you had to be really committed to it. And the data substantiates that, at least in the United States at any point in time, you have four to 7% of the population are, are vegan or vegetarian, but you've got about 150 million people who are flexitarians, right? Where they just are trying to eat better every once in a while. And of that smaller cohort of the four to 6% of vegans and vegetarians, over a three-year period, there's an 80% churn of people who just throw up their hands and say, I can't do that. So you're two years into that journey. So we ought to talk again at year three and see whether you're you know, still on this path. And my guess is you will be because it is easier today and because you have all these amazing meats made from plants that it's not a sacrifice anymore. Yeah, no, you don't, you don't even have to change behavior. And we know that behavior change is so hard for people. So exactly. It's more an issue of accessibility, right? Can you get these meats 
everywhere that you traditionally buy or consume food. And that's really where, as an industry, we're working really hard. There, there, there's a price parity issue, but there's also an availability issue. Yeah. So I do love the name Hungry Planet. Where, where did you, how, or how did you come up with that? Uh, we have had a global vision from day one. Uh, Todd has worked internationally on other projects for many, many years, including Ukraine. Uh, in, in, you know, what, 20 years ago or so. So he has an inside track to what's going on there. But yeah, we didn't want to be hungry St. Louis. We didn't want to be hungry North America. We really are hungry planet because we do feel like this is a global opportunity. It's a $2 trillion market, uh, meat market every year that is just enormous. We're chipping away where I think 1% of that is now all proteins. So we got a long, long ways to go. But if you compare it to non-dairy milks, which is now already in a very quick amount of time, two decades or less, has um, conquered 17, 18% of the overall, the global, you know, liquid um, dairy market, then, you know, we got a long ways to go and hopefully we can do it in a short time because we really do want to make a difference as fast as possible. So, um, Yeah, Todd, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, we just we just always you know, saw it as a huge global opportunity and we wanted to invite everybody in to be part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, in terms of naming of the company, right, it really started with coming up with our mission first. And our mission very clearly stated was to bend the curve on personal and planetary health. So that came first. And then we came up with a tagline of, you know, feeding a hungry, healthy planet. And then it was, well, what are we going to call this? And it was already, you know, the genesis of that was already in that tagline. If, if you are, uh, the tagline is feeding a hungry, healthy planet, we just realized, really, let's just name this company Hungry Planet. And that encapsulates very succinctly both the mission and the tagline uh, that we felt very comfortable about of what we were trying to do as a business. Mm. And let, let's dig in on, on that mission a bit more, um, to, trying to double click on, on this bending the curve on, on planetary and personal health. What, what does that really mean? And what's the, the big challenge we're, we're looking at here? Well, as you made reference to, right, the world in so many ways is on fire. Um, when you look at um, what's happening to the environment, when you look at what's happening to personal health globally, while the planet becomes more and more prosperous, we're actually destroying the planet and we're destroying our personal health. Um, and the two are inextricably linked to each other. And they directly um, are tied to what we choose to consume and how we grow and produce what we consume. So when you connect all those threads and you start looking at the data um, and you start understanding that, for example, animal agriculture creates more carbon emissions and greenhouse gases and all the transportation on the planet combined. Um, and while that fact is there, it's irrefutable, even at the recent COP26 in Glasgow, what was the conversation about? It was all about energy and energy consumption. It had zero to do with animal agriculture. And yet that's a bigger issue, right? And the reason that that isn't on the menu, so to speak, there is because food Jacob, as you mentioned before, it's such a cultural thing, right? And so when you start talking about something that is so close to us as food, where we're making those choices every single day, multiple times each day, people really kind of take offense at that. So how do you draw people into the conversation without you know, making it preachy, without making people feel bad about themselves, but making them realize there are delicious alternatives out there that will help regenerate the Amazon, right? That will help heal our bodies. And it's a very simple decision to make. Um, so that's, you know, when you look at the planet, all these challenges that we have come back to what we consume, how we produce what we consume. And when we can start making those changes, truly the planet starts healing, our bodies start healing, and we are all can start putting these resources and our energies towards other things than medical bills and trying to reforest stuff that we've torn down that we didn't need to tear down in the first place. Mm. 
Yeah, it's it's um, rather um, remarkable when you look at those uh, gatherings like COP26. I think me and my wife, we were following it uh, with a live stream, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> think a lot of people do, but that's how nerdy we are. And uh, we were kind of, you know, it was so weird when when food never popped up, uh, and and um, I, so so it's it's as you say it's it's a behavioral thing it's a cultural thing, but we do have the data. So why are we just you know it's like we have a blindfold on. Yeah, and it's interesting because people are kind of like, well, you know, do you believe in all this? And it's not a question of belief; it's a question of understanding, right? Because when you actually look at the science, it's not well, do you believe the science or not? It's do you understand the science. And when you're willing to understand the science and dive into it, then it's pretty obvious. And then when a solution is there, kind of on the plate, so to speak, ready for you, there's nothing that has to be reinvented. It simply is, is a little bit of an awareness and then trying a few things and going, wow, there's no difference here. And, and in fact, this notion that there's no difference here, um, you know, Jody and I and our team at Hungry Planet have had the opportunity to do some tastings for some of the largest meat companies on the planet. And in one case, we were able to serve our food at, at the annual banquet for one of these companies. And it wasn't disclosed in advance that they were eating plant-based meats. And when the reveal came, dead silence in a room of 200 people, right? From one of the largest meat companies on the planet who had no idea that the food that they had just absolutely enjoyed was plant-based meat. Right. And then a round of applause because well played, you know, we had no idea. Uh, we've had our opportunity to serve our food in the White House, in Gracie Mansion for the mayor of New York, uh, to groups of ministers in the Middle East. I mean, globally, to people who really are kind of interested in understanding how all this works. And when you do it and you don't tell people in advance that this is plant based, it's magic. Right. And so that's how far all of this has come. And look, not all plant-based meats are created equal. And we get plenty of people who say, look, I've tried some of this and it hasn't lived up to the expectation. And that's why I think Jody and I are so eager to help get the word out there that there are you know, some amazing plant-based meats. And what we're trying to do at Hungry Planet is to lead that so that people's first experience is absolutely analogous to what they've been brought up to. Yeah. So Jody, you're the CPO, Chief Purpose Officer, and Todd, you're the CEO. Uh, Jody, does that mean that you, your brother does all the boring stuff and you do the fun stuff? Or can you explain what, it, what, what you do as Chief Purpose yeah. Officer? Chief Purpose Officer, um, you know, it's just all about building a culture in our company of, you know, 45 employees or so and growing. Um, it's all about building a bigger tent and inviting everybody in and, you know, getting them excited about some aspect of what we're doing. And, you know, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, that sustainability is such a buzzword, you know, at COP and other, you know, people have been trading on that term for years. And it's like, change out your light bulb or flush your toilet twice a day. And that's not what is gonna get us there. And so, you know, it was really important to us to have our meats analyzed and to figure out exactly how sustainable they are. And, um, you know, they, they take 90% less greenhouse gas emissions, 90% uh, less water and about 70, 75% less land, depending on which nine protein you're looking at. And so, you know, that's a big part of being a purpose officer is talking about actual sustainability and, you know, uh, putting some data behind that because it's irrefutable. And then people get to make that choice. So we're starting to put, um, in addition to our health claims on our packs, where you can really see that our meats tend to have about half the calories, a fraction of the fat, no saturated fat, uh, lower sodium, you know, but also we have these environmental claims now on there too, for each protein type to say exactly how much less emissions water and, and land is used. And I find that that's really compelling, especially for people that are my uh, daughter and son's age. You know, I raised them plant-based in the early 2000s and, you know, it's such a challenge, right? To do that because they feel weird or awkward or they're not eating what everybody else is eating. And so, um, 
I really wanted to create something for them and for everybody so that you can create one dish and everybody around the table can eat it. It can be your grandma's, you know, favorite recipe for lasagna and you serve it and your carnivorous uncle loves it. Your vegan daughter who's home from college loves it and everybody in between and, and nothing really comes up about it. It's like, this is a delicious dish, you know? Um, so yeah, Todd, Todd does get to do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, with raising money. I sort of tag along to a lot of those meetings, but he definitely leads those relationships and um, is very good at it. So, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about what Jody does and brings to uh, that role of being a chief purpose officer is because she has lived the life of being a plant-based person to her core for so long. It is so authentic to who she is. And, you know, I think all of us, when we go and we buy, whether it's an article of clothing or whether it's food or a car, or we make purchases, you know, we're really intentional about the products that we're buying and the companies that we're supporting. And I think when you look at what's happened, as Jody was making reference to with discussions about addressing carbon emissions and environment, a lot of big companies do that. And the term for it is greenwashing. Right. And in our space, the same thing's happening. And internally, we talk about it as plant washing. Right. It's the same type of thing of kind of positioning and posing as if you really care and as if you're really trying to make a difference. But at the end of the day, what what a lot of these companies are doing is they're looking for the press release to say, oh, yeah, you know what, we're doing these things. But as the chief purpose officer, because it's so central to who Jody is, I think that message authentically comes through for Hungry Planet that we've been working on this for a long time. You know, this started as a passion project with us and a few other like-minded individuals over 20 years ago. We've only recently brought it to market because we wanted to make sure that the food truly was ready for prime time. We didn't want to come out and inflict on people food that wasn't going to live up to the promise, right? We want to make sure that it truly was ready. So, you know, you only work on a project like this for that amount of time, self-funding it, generating no revenue, if you only really, really believe in it. And so, you know, as chief purpose officer, you know, our company is infused with that. Um, and in large part, because Jody has lived this way for so long. Mm. And we find that we hire people who are, they're just really intrigued. You know, they've never sort of run into a company like ours before, where the mission is just so infused in every fiber of what we do. And they get intrigued and they apply and they join the team. And then they're like, wow, their eyes get opened. And, you know, all of our social media posts and you find that everybody on the marketing team, everybody on the design team, everybody on the sales team, even people on the ops team are like, this is so cool. Like it all actually fits together. You know, there isn't any climate washing going on here or green washing going on here. You guys are actually walking the walk. You're talking the talk. And that authenticity comes through. And, you know, Todd's and our, my name is on the back of every single retail pack. Like, you know, we believe in it. This is, this is something that is to our, our heart and our soul. And uh, we really want people to try it and join us in this mission of, of bending the curve on human and planetary health. Yeah. I think I, I read on your website that after a decade of, of culinary R&D, you developed the, the most authentic and complete range of plant-based meats available in the world. And uh, I thought that was a pretty bold statement. Uh, I loved it. Uh, but how, how, how come uh, that you dare to make such a, a bold claim? Well, as they say, it's not bragging if it's true. So um, <laughs> we, we actually, as you mentioned, Jacob, we, we started this as a passion project with some other you know, friends about 20 years ago. So we've had the benefit of time. We've had the benefit of self-funding it for all those years. And we also, I think, had the benefit of defining the opportunity and the challenge in a very different way. You know, the old adage is that, you know, a problem well-defined is half solved. We define this, as Jody had mentioned earlier, as a global issue. And when you look at it globally and you really look at how meat is produced and consumed around the world, um, this is not a beef and burgers discussion. 
Um, globally, pork is the number one consumed meat and then chicken and then beef. And then you have lamb and goat and crab and seafood and all the others. So when you look at that problem and that opportunity holistically, and you do that from day one, that causes you to go after this in a very different way. The other thing that was really important to us from day one is that we need to make sure that in addition to having authentically good, delicious food that tasted like conventional meat, it also had to have a healthy nutritional profile because if you're going to exist under that halo of being plant-based and then you're delivering something that doesn't live up to that nutritional expectation, that's misleading, right? So we kind of designed this rubric for what are the key principles that this plant-based meat has to meet. And we chipped away at it for decades, right? And we brought in culinarians and from day one, it was kind of by chefs for chefs, you know, chef crafted. And when you do that and you define the opportunity that way, it leads to where we are today, which is a portfolio of nine different meat types. No one else on the planet has that in the plant-based world nutritional profiles that are far superior to any other plant-based meats that are out there. These authentic tastes and textures that allow the food to work in any cuisine, in any recipe item, anywhere in the world, right? And then to be able to provide these in all the different forms that people love to consume it. So in the Hungry Planet range, we have raw items in chub form or bulk. We have raw preformed items but then we also have a full range of pre-cooked items from pre-grilled, roasted, crispy. We have a, a pork gyoza or a pot sticker. And then we also have ready to heat meals. So, you know, that's where you end up when you define the opportunity as all meat types, all cuisines for everyone, everywhere. And so, you know, as they say, you know, it's not bragging if you do it and people can go on the website and they can order it. And then when they taste it, they're like, wow fantastic. This delivers on the promise of what this category should be. Yeah. What, Our operations your... team says three-dimensional chess, you guys. That's what we're playing every single day because we got a lot of moving parts. I mean, we're, we've got a big problem to solve and it's complex, um, but we've got the right people to do it. We've got some very talented uh, people on board who have been in the food business for decades and really know what they're doing. So, you know, with supply chain, right, which has been a huge issue during COVID. Uh, it was before COVID, but it's particularly so during COVID. So, uh, but we're able to get all of our foods out there in the retail channel and the food service channels to everybody who's wanting it here in North America so far. Yeah, and, and Europe to come. But nothing yeah. is more satisfying than when people start discovering what we offer at Hungry Planet, right? So whether that's at our website, you know, hungryplantfoods.com, or on Instagram, Hungry Plant Foods, or Facebook, or we've just launched on TikTok. When people start seeing this food, they're like, okay, well, this isn't beef, burgers, and brats. This is a very different conversation. And I didn't realize that this range existed in the plant-based meat world. And so when people discover the food, and now that they have access to it nationwide here in the United States, the, the fan mail that we get is extraordinary. People are like, wow, I had no idea that I could eat this well, change my diet, change my health, benefit the planet, and make no sacrifice whatsoever. I mean, that's kind of like a triple win, right? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's the holy grail of trying to make a difference. And um, that's, that's what we're feeling very good about in terms of what we've brought to market now and what we're starting to accelerate with. Some of the most wonderful fan mail we're receiving is from diners who wind up at an all-exclusive resort in the Caribbean called Sandals. And I think there are like 28 or 29 locations. And for two or three years now, um, they've been serving Hungry Planet. It's branded on the menu, uh, all day parts. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner in all restaurants. And it's all inclusive. So if you go to a Sandals resort, you can't leave. You actually are captive audience. And we get love letters from people saying, oh my gosh, how did I never hear of you before? I have to have your food now that I'm home. My wife and I were there for you know a week and we ate Hungry Planet every day. And in all these different um, 
you know, recipes and we just can't say enough good things about it. Thank you so much for making it easy for us because we're flexitarians. We're trying to become plant-based, you know, you guys make it easy for us. And, you know, to Todd's point earlier, we're not making hungry planet for vegans and vegetarians of which I am in that group of which you are too. Like, it's not really for us. It's for the 96% of the rest of the people on planet earth who are flexitarian and who actually identify with that term and think it to be a positive term. And when I'm talking to people and I say, Oh, so you're flexitarian. They go, yeah, I'm flexitarian. I'm like, perfect. My food is for you, <laughs> you know, because you will eat it and you won't know the difference. And it's so much better for your health and better for the planet. And I better for the animals. I will sneak that in sometimes, although most people don't want to hear about that so much, but yeah, we just want to be that easy solution, you know, that easy on-ramp for all of those millions and millions of flexitarians out there who are becoming aware of this problem that we have, particularly younger people, you know, who are our kids' ages, who are like, wow, thanks for letting us inherit this world the way that you've given it to, like, we need to do something about this. They're really motivated, right? Yeah, well, I mean, even a uh, by looking at your website, even a carnivore would be would get hungry. I guess um, it's pretty incredible. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible pictures you, you've got there. Um, so I, I, I guess getting to the point where you're at now with with all of those proteins out there, all those products, has been a bumpy ride somehow. Uh, could you share a story of when when uh, you know things have been getting really tough? when you've been almost abandoned this. <laughs> well, I mean, any startup, anyone who's been involved in the startup world knows that, you know, startups are not easy, right? The, uh, the startups that make the press, it always sounds like it's all glamorous. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week for years after years after years. But I think one of the things that, um, caught us a little by surprise, uh, it caught the whole planet by surprise was when COVID uh, first arrived. Um, as everyone will recall, um, that was early January, you know, 2020, right? It was kind of late 2019, January, February, and then March is kind of when the whole world shut down. And that happened to coincide with when we were planning to publicly launch Hungry Planet. Uh, we've been doing pilots Uh, across the United States and Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, really validating that there was a market fit for hungry planet meats and all these different mark uh, uh, in all these different markets. And absolutely there was, we were ready to launch. We were going to launch in food service first. We had just shipped our first container load to the distributor in the United States to launch in food service literally 10 days before we shut down here in the United States, which was March 13th. And so, you know, that was, that was tough, right? Because we've been working on this at that point for close to 18 years and to uh, have 18 years worth of work and a container load of food ready to go to food service when literally food service worldwide, certainly in the United States completely shut down. You know, we kind of were scratching our head thinking, all right, you know, As you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you have a setback, you always say, well, what's this trying to teach me and where do we go from here? Um, and at that point, there was a lot of speculation, right, about where COVID was going to go. We made the decision pretty early that this was probably a much bigger deal than um, was publicly being uh, said. So what we decided to do was to bring forward all of our retail plans by about two years and just lean into that and say, let's accelerate those plans. So that's what we did. I mean, that's what that, you know, caused us to do. So instead of feeling uh, dispirited and defeated, it was like, nope, you know, here, this is a great opportunity to move forward the retail and further build out the supply chain. And, you know, that's why we are where we are today. So, you know, there, there's one example of uh, snatching uh, victory from the jaws of what could have been defeat. Not only did we do that, but we, you know, we brought forward 17 retail items, right? Um, so it's not just one or two. In fact, we have a big market here in the United States called Weiss Market that is taking in 11 of our retail SKUs uh, to start. So we're going to have this whole shelf of 11 different, you know, retail SKUs, which is fantastic. So we're finding more and more um, grocers are interested in our full portfolio 
of retail needs. And uh, so it's a great opportunity for us because as Todd said earlier, it is so much more than beef and burgers. Like I am so sick and tired of beef and burgers. And I think most people are, and now it's sort of chicken, right? Well, we, we have grilled chicken. Uh, we have diced grilled chicken. We have a crispy and fried chicken uh, sandwich. You can see up here, it's a cutlet and it's phenomenal. Um, you know, so we've got all of these things now that people can experiment with this pork gyoza that Todd was talking about, hugely popular flying off the shelves. So yeah, we pivoted to, to retail, bringing that on board, but we also brought this huge section of 17 items uh, to really show, you know, the full range that we can have. What's, what's your view on, on the sort of market dynamics? Is it, um, I, I, I mean, um, do you believe that all of the other plant-based companies are competitors? Is that the way to look at it? Or should you sort of play a, is it, is it a team game to bring this markets up to scale? Yeah, you know, th there's this notion of a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Um, and ideally, you know, th I think that is true to the extent that uh, consumers and the global population become aware that there's this category of food called plant-based meats. That's fantastic. The, the broader that message is, is shared, the better. Um, but one of the biggest challenges is because so many people have jumped into this space just because they think it's on trend, right? They think that it could be highly profitable. The result of that is that people jump into this by throwing money at the problem and thinking that they can come up with plant-based meats in a matter of months, right? Or weeks. And they rush to market foods that should never be brought to market, but are called plant-based meats. And so, um, yes, it, it is an issue of broad education needs to happen, but the biggest competition that we have out there, quite frankly, isn't really even conventional meat. The biggest competition and the thing that detracts the most from rapid progress in the space are these products that are rushed to market before they're ready. Because then when people consume those and that's their first experience with a plant-based meat, they're like, yeah, no, this isn't living up to the promise of what I heard this should be. So that's kind of the dynamic, Jacob, is that it should, you know, all be net positive, but because a lot of people are jumping into it just because they sit, think it's on trend and they think they can make money on it without really developing truly delicious food that is better for you. You've got this odd dichotomy between, you know, a handful of products that really are starting to deliver on the promise and then all this noise of food that isn't really helping the movement to help heal the planet and heal our bodies. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I'm, I'm pretty quite picky when it comes to taste myself. So, and I guess most people are. So affordability, taste, uh, accessibility, all those things, easiness, as you mentioned before, all of those are super important. Yeah, you, can't sac you can't sacrifice that, right? And that's why our chief culinary officer, Ron DeSantis, he's a certified master chef, which is the highest designation you can have. And in the United States, there are only 62 of them, right? So that's a pretty exclusive club. And so when you are leading with a person like that, whose title is chief culinary officer, nothing comes to market until someone of that caliber has been involved in creating the food and ultimately signing off on it and saying, look, this food is good enough for everybody, right? We could serve this in public schools, you know, kindergarten through high school. We can also serve it in the White House to heads of state. And we've done both, right? That's when you know that the food is ready for prime time. And that only happens when you are chef driven by chefs, for chefs, and truly chef crafted, and not just kind of throwing that term around because it sounds good and it's going to draw people in. Because if you can't deliver on it, you know what, that, that's, that's bragging, right? Without the substance behind it. You got to be able to deliver. And uh, you, you guys decided to go for soy protein in, in all of your products, right? Um, is that true? Correct. Yeah, we're primarily soy-based. And, and the reason for that is that when you look globally and you really want to have a global reach to what you're doing, there are certain constraints that you have to operate within. And one of them is what 
ingredients are available at scale. So there are a lot of niche proteins that are interesting, but quite frankly, none of them deliver the same kind of nutritional value as soy. None of them deliver the same taste and texture as soy. And none of them are available at the scale that's necessary if you truly are going to bend the curve on personal planetary health, which is our mission. Um, so that is why we're platformed on soy. And at the end of the day, soybean has powered Asian society for over 5,000 years, right? It's an unbelievably good, nutrient-dense, complete protein. Um, so that's why we are platformed on that particular uh, protein for our meats. I would just add, Todd, that all of our ingredients are non-GMO, and that is important to our company. So all of our soy is non-GMO, all of our wheat is non-GMO, and all of our red meats are gluten-free or free of gluten. Um, so that is also something that people are seeking. Yeah. No, it, there, there seems to be so many misconceptions about soy in particular. So, you know, covering everything from environmental impact to health impact. Um, since you have chosen to, to, to go for soy, uh, for the listeners who might still be uh, cautious when it comes to soy for one or another reason, could you try to dismantle some of those myths around soy and then? Yeah, well, let me add a couple of things in here, and Jody maybe can address some of the other myths there. Um, you know, the movie uh, Game Changers, which came out two or three years ago, for those who are interested in really taking a deep dive, is an excellent reference for the um, power of plants in your diet, and specifically how good soy is for our bodies. And when people look at um, and trying to understand where some of these myths have come from, they understand that a lot of it came from um, kind of very intentionally misleading research that was done by the dairy and the meat industry. Um, the other thing to note about soy is people will often say, well, but you know, a lot of the Amazon is being cleared to grow soy. Well, it's being cleared to grow soy for animal feed. Over 86% of the soy that is grown on this planet goes to feed animals. And when it goes to feed beef, for example, you actually are losing 96% of the available nutritional value by converting that from plant proteins into beef protein. And to put that in a kind of a visual context, that's as though you're sitting down at a dinner table and you have 25 plates of food that are all equally nutritious and good to eat. And you choose to throw away 24 of them and eat just one, right? So that's what happens every single time we make a decision to eat beef instead of you know, plants made directly from those same proteins. And that's part of the invisible supply chain. That's a 96% loss by that simple decision. So you know, there's so many reasons why when you really understand, and again, it's not a question of believing it, but do you understand the science behind it, the enormous waste of taking these proteins, passing them through animals to create meat, instead of just taking those exact same proteins and transforming them into plant-based meats. Hmm. Yeah. I would just add that, you know, the science is there, right? Soy is the, a high quality, complete protein, and it contains all the essential amino acids, right? It's rich in fiber and several essential minerals, including iron, potassium, magnesium, phosphorus, and there's just so many misconceptions out there about soy, but um, it's the most nutritious, most versatile, and most globally available, as Todd was saying, and it has the most authentic uh, meat taste and texture. We played with a lot of different proteins, and that's the one that we landed on. Um, but really interesting is that soy consumption reduces the risk of breast cancer, and in fact, shows a protective effect against it. So um, it doesn't contain any estrogen people, you know, which is an animal hormone, rather, you know, soy along with chickpeas and other stuff and other legumes, it contains a phytoestrogen and isoflavonides that are plant hormones. 
So I think people get really confused about that. And they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have man boobs or, you know, or my boobs are going to get bigger if you're a woman. And my daughter said, well, mom, then everybody would be eating, every woman in North America would be eating soy instead of getting breast augmentations. I'm like, yeah, good point. So, and it's the only plant protein that carries the FDA's heart health claim. So just 25 grams of soy protein a day reduces the risk of heart disease, which is huge in North America. That's the number one killer, right? So um, I, I just think people need to really focus on what the benefits of soy are rather than tearing it down all the time. Well, and interestingly enough, I mean, five years ago, this was a much hotter topic that people were really abuzz with. And, and now, um, and I think largely because we've been helping to, to educate folks, if you look, most plant-based meats are soy-based because they've all kind of come to understand all these benefits for it. And for those who are interested in taking a deeper dive, you know, if you go to our website, hungryplanetfoods.com, under our FAQ section, we do spell out uh, additional details there and provide links to peer-reviewed articles. Um, So for those who are truly interested in learning more, that's a great resource to dive into. One last point, because this comes up all the time, but it's an allergen. Okay, people, 0.1% to 0.6% of people are actually allergic to soy. So it's almost negligible. I mean, you have to call it out because there are a very tiny subset that are, but you know, allergies to milk and dairy and and shellfish are much more prevalent. So 0.1% to 0.6% of people are actually allergic to soy. And what's interesting is much time we've just here uh, spent talking about kind of the protein piece of it. Um, when you look at what's actually going on in the animal agriculture world and you start looking at the antibiotics that are used, you know, over 80, 85% of all the antibiotic use globally is used to treat animals, right? Which is the perfect breeding ground for these superbugs. When you start looking at the conditions of how the animals are raised, when you start looking at their impact on the groundwater, it dwarfs any issue that people might say, well, but you know, how about this, that, or the other about plant-based meats? It comes back to, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And for Jody and me, if you're going to bend the curve on personal and planetary health, um, it's not even you know, a discussion that plant-based meats are so much better for you, almost regardless of what they're made from, than the animal an- analog. And that's largely true, even of those ones that don't have really good health claims, um, what it does to the environment uh, when we are you know, producing too many animals uh, in ways that are degrading our environment and our health isn't helpful. You know, in the United States, seven of the 10 leading causes of death are diet and exercise related and largely comes back to an overconsumption of meat. So when people really want to dive into that question of what's better for me and what's better for the planet, really looking at what's happening there in the animal ag sector uh, opens up people's eyes to say, okay, you know, it's a no brainer. I I really ought to be giving these things a try, Um, particularly as far as they've come with an offering such as what we're offering here at a hungry planet. Yeah. The data is, is there, as you said, it's it's not a question about believing, but understanding that's, it's a great way to to put it. So if, if there's sort of, non-limits to, to uh, the availability of soy and, and, and so forth. Uh, what are the main barriers if you're looking ahead to, to scale both locally where you're at, but also globally? Yeah, I think that really the, the limits on scale right now have to do with reaching more people with the message that there are truly authentically delicious plant-based meats that exist that exist in the market today that can work in any cuisine, in any traditional favorite recipe, in any venue, anywhere on the planet, right? That it's, it's getting, helping get that message out because I think a lot of people still think that this is burger, beef and burgers, right? And maybe brats, but it's not. I mean, it's truly every type of meat in any type of cuisine and any type of dish. That's right now the constraining factor. It isn't an ingredient input. It's not in our case at Hungry Planet making it better because we already are able um, to serve our foods and if people aren't told in advance it's plant-based, they have no idea. It truly, it's getting the message out there and then getting the distribution 
to all these different corners of the world in all the places where people are making food choices so that it can become the default choice for people to say, oh, I'll take you know, the Hungry Planet um, pork gyoza. I'll take the Hungry Planet satay. I'll take the Hungry Planet Swedish meatball. When that can become a default choice because it's ubiquitous, because it is so easy to make that decision, then this category will grow even faster than it has been over the past few years. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I know you, Jody, you've wrote a piece on five things you wish someone has had told you before becoming a, a founder. <laughs> uh, so for just for aspiring founders out there who are dream, who's dreaming about entering this space, uh, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, well, it does take vision and tenacity for starters. I mean, it is, you know, way more heavy lifting than you can possibly imagine getting into it. Um, but when it comes from a place of passion and desire to make a meaningful change in the course of your lifetime, which is my, my thing, um, then it fuels you, right? Um, it's also really important to sort of... Um, get a network of people or surround yourself with people who have already been, you know, in the food world for many years and already understand it. And, you know, even though you might not be able to hire those individuals initially, they can sort of advise you and help you to learn because Todd and I don't have a food background. You know, we have a change the world kind of a mantra, but, you know, we had to pair up with people who knew what the heck they were doing, you know, for supply chain and all kinds of operations and, and all the chefs that we brought in. And by the way, all of our chefs are omnivores, which was really important to us. We didn't want a bunch of vegan chefs. We wanted people who, you know, had tasted, you know, conventional meat and, uh, and knew what we were trying to match. Um, so that is really important. Um, What else, Todd? We had a few things that we were talking about with that. Um, I think those, those were the key things. Really, you need to understand what your North Star is, right? And, and what's yeah. the problem that you're going after and not lose sight of that because no one's going to feel that drive. No one's going to have that passion that you do. And unless you're very clear on that, there are people who always kind of float in and out of your business and your life who will say, try to push you in a different direction. Right. So you've got to be very clear in what it is that you're trying to achieve, while at the same time being open to good ideas that come in, but also being pretty quick to reject ideas that you know, aren't aligned with who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And to a certain degree, this comes back to that question of you know, Jody as chief purpose officer. It's maintaining that true north star of why did we start Hungry Planet? And let's make sure that every decision is being made through that prism of, is this bending the curve on personal and planetary health? And if it isn't, and it's not leading us to where we want to go, then it's not something we should do. And I think for every founder, that's absolutely true. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's going to be a lot harder than you think it's going to be. Um, and you've got to remain absolutely true to that and surround yourself with good people. And if anyone infiltrates you know, that circle who isn't really adding to that, make that change quickly and, and keep moving forward. I, I, guys, I love how, how, how mission driven you are. And um, I, I want to wrap this up with a personal question. And, and that's something that I walk around about, uh, thinking about. Me and my wife think about this all the time. And that's, um, you know, we don't have a lot of time to do this we have to sort of get going now and 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 a lot of more a lot more people have to understand what's really at stake and, and start to make those changes to their lives uh, at the same time meat consumption is you know skyrocketing <laughs> uh, with more and more countries entering uh, the wealthy wealthy parts of the world but raising kids you know uh, the next generation who's going to take the these uh, these decisions to make the changes in their lives. And I know you, Jody, you, you, you mentioned you have raised kids on a, on a, on a vegan, a plant-based diet. Uh, how do you, how do you ensure they, they sort of understand this? And, and because my fear right now, we have a one-year-old and we have a three-year-old and the three-year-old is, 
he he really gets this right now. He gets why we're doing it, and but he's he's still the outsider when he comes to to uh, school and daycare, you know. Yeah. Um, so I guess sometime in the future he will not be the the meat eaters will be the outsider if if there oh, yeah. even will be one. But but right now, how do you have any advice for for parents like like me? How do you raise kids uh, and, and get them to understand this? a great question, Jacob, and I'm maybe 20 years ahead of you on the parenting um, realm, and so is Todd. I just think when you talk to your kids about it very openly, and you're able to give them foods where when they're going to sleepovers and they're going to birthday parties, I mean, you know, put your seatbelt on because it gets really busy here pretty soon. We're like every weekend you're going to a cookout or the kids are going, you know, and they, and they're supposed to bring their food and they want to bring hot dogs. or they want to bring a hamburger or they want to bring a chicken sandwich and stuff. Right. They don't want to feel like the odd person out. They want to feel like they belong with their peers. And so that was a huge motivator for us here at hungry planet. And for us as parents of young kids, which was how can we create these foods? So, our kids don't feel like they're othered, you know, like they aren't in with the cool kids. And then their friends will have a bite of their burger and go, wow, you know, Milo, it's really, I thought you were, you know, you don't eat meat. He's like, well, I don't, this is my mom sent me with this and it's, it's plant-based, you know? So I just think that openness and just really nurturing, um, them as individuals before they get into that stage where the cognitive dissonance starts to happen. And it really happens pretty young in our societies. Um, so they're so fortunate to have you as parents because you've already sort of fallen to that. You know, I mean, it sounds like you've been plant-based a couple of years. One of your kids is a year older than that. So, hmm. you know, a year after your first one was born and now your new one. Um, so you'll have all that wisdom to pass along to them. And, you know, I think it can be quite daunting to be aware of all the problems without having some solutions, right? And so as a parent, you can offer all of those solutions and it comes back down to the personal level, right? Every choice we make about the food we eat is a vote for the world we want to inhabit and future generations will inherit, full stop. And they can get that from a very young age. And the other thing that really gets me is that Somehow we manage to feed 80 billion land animals every year. It's many, many more if you, all the aquatic animals, but 80 billion land animals wind up on our plates, but we can't even manage to feed our almost 8 billion human family. And that's an atrocity. And kids understand the injustice of that. You know, they want everybody to eat equally. They want all of their friends to be nourished like they are. And so I think it's a great opportunity. I'm so glad you decided to have kids. I think a lot of people are choosing against it right now for the very reasons that all of us are completely aware of, which we have a major challenge ahead of us and people seem to be asleep at the wheel. And so there's that thing of needing to shock people out of that a little bit and then giving them fantastic solutions like right off the bat. Like, yeah, there's a problem, but we got a solution. Wait, wait, don't, don't, don't despair. You know, we're here for you. We're here to help and make it easy and create that on-ramp. So that's about all I have. Do you have anything to add to that, Todd? Uh, I think that's, you know, those are all comments are spot on. I think when you talked about globally, just how there's more conventional meat being consumed, right? And how do you bring along the next generation? Um, you know, I think as, as a species, we always love when we can find new things that upgrade what we did previously. Um, so when you look at developing countries across the world um, who didn't have extensive landline phones across their country, they're not all clamoring to say, hey, can we go string you know, landlines around our country? They're all saying, hey, can, we're putting up mobile cell towers and everything is mobile because that's a major upgrade. The same is true with what we're doing right now to conventional meat. We are upgrading that by making it from plants. And I think that talking about and understanding plant-based meat is truly a fundamental foundational upgrade to meat is really important. And it helps 
for those who have children to talk about we're upgrading what we're eating. And maybe your friends don't understand that yet, but we're at the leading edge of where the world is going. And everybody loves things that are better. And truly, plant-based meats are better. Some that are better than others, but you know, it is better for our planet, for our health, and for the welfare of animals. And I think that's a message that everybody can understand. And when we can deliver on that promise of truly upgrading conventional meat, we start bending the curve on personal and planetary health. And we as a business at Hungry Planet feel like we've really made a difference, both you know, for our generation and generations to come. Wow, that was really good. So, so uh, upgrading, it's an upgrade. Uh, and thinking about what kind of ancestor we do want to become. I think that's, that's some powerful stuff that I'm going to take back to my wife and, and talk with her <laughs> about. Yeah. And, and then come, come visit to Sandals. We get fan mail from, from Swedes and Finns and Norwegians. I mean, all those Nordic countries in the wintertime when you're looking for a little sun and you want <laughs> to eat some really good food. Come enjoy some time in the Bahamas at Sandals and uh, enjoy what the promise of plant-based food is all about. And you'll see how truly well done it is. And when it's done that way, it, it's an upgrade. I mean, no one can have that food and say it's anything other than absolutely spectacular. So Jody, Todd, it's been a pleasure having you on board the uh, Replanet podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining. Great, Jacob. Thank you for all that you're doing. I love the name of your podcast and uh, helping to get the message out there about how we all can take ownership of this and we can all make a difference with the foods we choose to uh, consume and the supply chains that are required to, uh, to feed our appetites. So thank you. Thanks, Jacob. It was so great to chat with you and all the best as a young parent. Um, a lot of adventures ahead and hopefully some great culinary ones with some wonderful plant-based meats. Yeah, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. The Re-Planet Podcast.